This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What is up, all of you beautiful people? And welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. My audio is actually sounding decent this weekend. Um, Season 2. Episode number seven, Kent State Recap and Colorado State Preview Edition. My name is Robert Donaldson, and you can find me on Twitter at RobDFB. And as always, I'm joined by my phenomenal co-host, Thad Nelson, who you can find on Twitter at TNels20. And despite Iowa's defense holding Kent State to seven and Iowa winning by 23, the sky is falling a bit for some people. So let me ask you, Thad. Rewatching this game, you know, is it doomsday for Iowa? What's going wrong? You know, it wasn't really an impressive win, but what were some of your biggest takeaways from this Kent State matchup? There are definitely concerns uh, when you look offensively. Iowa did make some progress in some areas, but there's still some areas where people are going to have concerns. And I mean, let's be honest, there's going to be concerns no matter what from the fan base. I mean, I don't I don't think there's a scenario where people are not going to walk away from a game um, like that where Iowa is expected to win by a decent amount and walk away saying, uh, you know, oh, it's just everything's right. This is perfect. The offense is going the right direction. Because even when they do some things really well, um, even when, you know, Tyler Goodson goes over 150 yards, has three touchdowns, Spencer Petras has his best completion percentage of his career. You know, they're just going to come back and say, well, it's all short passes and they're not doing this and not doing that. But in the end, you know, I thought Kirk Ferentz said it perfect in his post game. You know, bottom line is you want to win the game and Iowa won the game and got better. And now it's time to do it again next week. Yeah. And, you know, and Iowa did push on the their spread number that they were assigned minus 23, but it also came on sort of that backdoor kind of push scenario where they scored in the last five minutes of the game and it came on the biggest deep pass of the game from Spencer Petras and then they also have to factor in Kent State fumbled at their own one yard or at Iowa's one yard line um, when they're trying to reach across the end zone so you know a couple breaks maybe Iowa's way made this final score look more appealing Um, that said there were a lot of takeaways from this game and I don't think Iowa's offense and let's just start there because I think that's where a lot of people are shining the their critique, even though the defense gave up some big plays in this game um, that are sort of uncommon uh, for the rest of their season or what they've done so far. The offense is sort of where people are shining the spotlight and saying, you know, what's going wrong here? Like, how do we fix this? Because Penn State and Maryland and the heap of Big Ten's football is coming up. So when you look at this offense, what were your takeaways um, just watching the game? The biggest thing that I noticed is that there was, in my opinion, a pretty clear game plan that Iowa is going to uh, complete easy passes. They're going to get the ball uh, and focus on trying to get Tyron Tracy Jr. the ball um, in a few different spots. And they're going to try to make it so they get makeable third downs. And that's really what they started with. And if you look at the drives that ended for Iowa, you know, their very first drive, they have a third and ten. There is a perfectly called tunnel screen to Tracy. And he slips on 
he would have picked up the first down. And honestly, had he not slipped, I think he scores a touchdown because uh, on the far side, when he goes to cut back, they have that far right side completely cleared out. And honestly, if he doesn't slip, he probably scores. You know, on another third down, there was the very odd reversal of a catch, um, again, from Tracy for it would have been 16 yards. And that's a third down, and all of a sudden they have to punt. There's also a third down situation where Petrus hit Tyron Tracy on a back shoulder pass, perfectly delivered pass. Um, he doesn't catch it. That's one of those you could say it's a drop. You could rule it as pass defended. But it was a really good throw, and it ended up not going for a first down. And then Iowa also had Ivory Kelly Martin fumble at the Kent State 22-yard line, and Iowa loses possession. So you you look at those, you take away those situations, and those sort of things are going to happen during a course of a game. Like It's not like you can eliminate those clearly. But there weren't spots where Iowa was shooting themselves in the foot. No turnovers from Spencer Petrus. He didn't get sacked. So, you know, you think back to previous game getting sacked on those third down plays against Iowa State. This time, didn't do it. Third down, they ran a couple screens. Um, They got the ball underneath a couple times and players were able to make first down plays. And the other thing is I thought the play action game took a big step forward, which is something Iowa really needs. Yeah, and let's just talk about the fact that the play calling and play designs that were implemented in this game we're about as vanilla as you're ever going to see from Iowa the, the rest of the season. Maybe next week um, against Colorado State, you're going to see some similar things. But a lot of the pass plays in this game or pass calls were one read, five yard out, and just kind of rhythm throws for Spencer Petrus. They didn't show anything in this game. I mean, the most clever things they did, they had those two drag screens, um, like you mentioned, to Tyrone Tracy. And yeah, those were beautifully called play designs. They also had some misdirection with, you know, a, a, ba- a fullback lead going the other way. And then that toss out to Tyler Goodson for the touchdown. They had some cool misdirection plays. And anytime they ran misdirection, let me tell you, it was a massive play because Kent State was just flying out, selling out to uh, the side they thought they were running to. And, you know, as the game went on, you know, that big pass play at the end of the game um, that set up Iowa's final touchdown. That was on a double move, and it was the first double move we saw from an Iowa receiver the entire game. There was one double move on every single route, um, and a lot of these throws, again, one progression go. There were very little high-low reads or low-high reads. It was really just a vanilla offense, and I think this was a game plan of sort of Brian just coming into this game saying, you know, we're not going to divulge too much here um, because we're the better team and we know it. They also have this game plan of just, you know, let's continue to play to our defense and our special teams. And especially in a game like this, you know, Kent State came in with a high-powered offense, but, you know, outside of those couple big plays they hit, you know, they were never going to scare you because they had no ability to run. This Iowa defensive line continues to just eat up blockers and let those three linebackers and the safeties clean everything up. You know, and we saw it again. We saw Jack Campbell get double-figure tackles. Uh, Justin Jacobs, I think, was up around eight tackles. And the linemen, there were seven sacks, uh, highlighted by Joe Evans and Lucas Van Ess getting two apiece. So they just kind of kept doing what they've been doing defensively, even though, you know, there was a chance to get it down to a, a single 
score game there um, after Kent State fumbled or before they fumbled. But they never really felt like the game was in peril or that there was a situation where Iowa needed to do really anything more than what they did. Yeah, I mean, the entire, uh, I guess, amount of Kent State's offense came on just big chunk plays. Uh, where I guess mainly just Riley Moss got caught a couple times. One time it was man coverage. He bit on a run fake, sort of stalled, and then just got burned by. The other one was in a zone where he thought there was going to be safety up over top, but it was two man, and uh, I believe it was Kayvon Merriweather was just covering the seam, which I, I thought was a good call by him, and, and it was just a bad read by Riley Moss and just something that is easily correctable. And then the touchdown over Dane Belton, I thought Dane Belton had pretty decent positioning. I, I, you know, it's one of those things where he's not the longest guy. So contesting that catch from the back hip where that ball was placed is going to be really difficult for him. But, you know, not something you look at that film and saying, all right, we need to overhaul your technique here. You did this completely wrong. He was he was playing it pretty well as far as positioning goes. And yeah, they couldn't run the ball to save their life. I mean, this defense was swarming them. Uh, the defensive line balled out. The linebackers balled out. Um, and th- that's really nothing new for us, I guess, uh, to take away. But let's talk about, I guess, this offensive line because Kyler Schott got back in the fold this week and a little bit. It was a limited role, but it was still an impactful role. I mean, he was pancaking guys. You could clearly see that there was more um, technically sound. Or it was looked better with him out there on zone runs. Uh, it just looked more cohesive. The exchanges were cleaner. Um, Tyler Linderbaum had one of his better games, which, you know, not really a big surprise when you're going up against a team where they're not a super athletic at linebacker or on the defensive line. It just felt like every single reach block he was executing, anytime he climbed or was on a, on a lead or a pole, he was hitting his target, running out in space, doing his thing. And then Nick DeYoung had a good game, I thought. Mason Richmond had a good game, I thought. Um, it's nice to see them bounce back after playing Iowa State. And then it was an interesting rotation in the sense that when Kyler Schott did come into the game, it was for Cody Ince at left guard um, a couple times. And Connor Colby was at right guard for a number of snaps in this game. So Justin Britt is out. And or, uh, yeah, they sub out Justin Britt and they sub out Cody Ince. And they're putting in a, a true freshman and a guy who sort of limited reps um, due to an injury. I just thought the rotation offensive line was was interesting. And, you know, maybe it's just a thing of this is a tune-up game. They're trying to figure it out and not to put a whole lot of stock into what the rotation actually was. That was my exact thought because all of a sudden you see Kyler Schott go in and he's at left guard and I fully expected him to come in at right guard where there's already been a bit of a rotation. Cody Ince is a very solidified player on the left side. You know, so is it a situation where, hey, we just want to see him get some reps? We know what we have with with Cody Ince. And on the right side, we're still trying to figure out what we have with Connor Colby and Justin Britt. And in this game, it was Connor Colby getting 50 snaps, you know, way more than what Justin Britt had. So as you said, is this something to watch going forward? Is this the direction they're headed? Or is it a situation of, Hey, we're playing a team where it's not going to cost us if we're putting a young player in there, getting him some reps. Let's get him these reps. Let's see what we have. You know, so when we get to Big Ten season, 
is it somebody we want to ride with or do we need to say, okay, um, keep developing in practice and you're an emergency player for this year with the chance to step in next season? Yeah, and you know, in this game, the defense did a lot of new things as far as rotation goes um, and usage goes. They did a lot of different things as far as just play calling goes. The offense, on the other hand, very vanilla on offense play calling wise, but rotation wise, kind of caught off caught us off guard a little bit. Um, you know, we saw uh, Keegan Johnson in this game a little bit more than we usually had. Um, Jack Plum got some time in this game. And yeah, again, Keller shot. It's great to see him back out there. That said, and you know, I, I do think he's going to be eventually the starter at one of those positions once he's fully healthy. But as far as Connor, Connor Colby goes, it is nice to see him in some of this early season action. That said, he's definitely not better than Cody Gintz at this point. Um, he just kind of looks a little bit lost out there in some exchanges. And in, in pass pro, there's some times where it's either a communication thing, it's either a feel thing, where he just sort of is sort of um, just out in space trying to figure out what to do and doesn't really have the the best kind of feel or footwork moving in pass protection right now. Um, that said, I, I do think that he his athleticism is obvious and uh, he can really drive people off the ball and just getting him these reps, and especially with a guy like Tyler Linderbaum who we expect not to return next year, I, having that guy next to you to sort of help you with these exchanges inside is going to be a great learning experience for him moving forward. Yeah, I thought, as you said, there were some issues here and there, but for the most part, he's holding his own. And, you know, for a true freshman to be out there at this point in the season says a lot. You know, it says what this coaching staff thinks of his potential and how well he's picking up the work he's putting in. So credit to him. And as you said, other young players, we saw Keegan Johnson out there early. Arlen Bruce had 20 snaps. He was out there a lot, and it was interesting to see him out there because when he is in there, they are moving him all over the place. He is in pre-snap motion almost every time, you know, and some of that is, you know, are they setting something up later? He's a definitely a jet sweep guy that you could put in there. You know, he played some running back in high school, so it's a guy you want to get the ball in his hands. And another thing is he's not real big, so getting that motion, he has no chance of getting um, bumped at the line, or if he can get a free release, you know, he's going to beat almost everybody to the corner. So it's great to see, you know, three true freshmen out there getting first quarter, you know, reps and, and doing a good job. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed watching Arlen Bruce at least get uh playing time. Didn't really do a whole lot with it. Um, he got a few targets here and there, but no real chance to have any yards after the catch kind of scenarios or, you know, operate in space a whole lot. But you can tell just based on how he moves, he definitely is a very quick athlete. And he looks like he holds a, a pretty decent uh, width to him, too. He's not just like this super scrawny, um, I guess, gadget kind of guy. He, do- he doesn't fit that kind of mold, in my opinion. So if maybe in this next game we get to see a little bit more of him, we know that Iowa loves to isolate uh, linebackers with their slot guys and just sort of have them run side adjusts and sort of uh, min- uh, abuse them in man coverage. It would be interesting to see what can happen if they maybe get Arlen Bruce out in space on a middle linebacker. He's a major mismatch in those situations with his um, speed, but just his short area quickness. If you go back and watch some of the things he did in high school, like when you put him in a box, he is unbelievably quick, you know, and his ability to sidestep guys um, 
you know, I think somebody like Tyrone Tracy is a is good in those in situations, but he's a powerful guy. You know, he's not going to just quick give you a shoulder and go by you. Arlen Bruce is the type that can, you know, not quite like Akram Wadley, but a little bit that sense of he can give you a shoulder and he's by you. Um, but he's definitely more compact build. And as you said, you know, he's not very big, but it's not like he's a skinny guy out there. He's well put together for a freshman, you know, and, and more of, I think back to those, um, those Florida teams with somebody like Percy Harvin, you know, brings a lot of that in my mind of a guy that you can get the ball in space can operate as a receiver. Um, you know, maybe not real tall, but definitely put together well and somebody that can not only run around you, but can run through you in certain situations. I absolutely agree. And I do think like, you know, I thought Tyrone Tracy at one point was going to be that guy. Um, I'm starting to become a little bit more weary because obviously the drop issues are a noted thing, right? And sometimes in these man covered situations or situations where he's isolated in coverage, you expect it or want him to make a play. Um, you know, that drag screen, for example, where he stumbled and fell down, that happens, you know, but it's one of those things that if he can just build, it's also when you fall down and you see a receivers like stumble over their feet or whatever it is, a lot of times that just comes down with comfortability with the ball in their hands and confidence with their movements. And you have to wonder if, you know, these limited amount of just opportunities to run after the catch so far this season is maybe leading to that. And that leads me to a sort of a philosophical question that I want to ask you about uh, when you're playing a Mac opponent or uh, this upcoming week against a Mountain West opponent in Colorado State who they're, you know, they're still a Division One team. They have talented guys out there, but they're a team that you just outmatch talent-wise across the board. At what point, you know, do you think that you're doing a disservice to your offense as a play caller or as a game planner by just calling all these vanilla plays where there's you're really just kind of taking what the defense is like giving you and you're not doing a whole lot schematic wise to really draw up some um I guess manufacture separation for your guys or create these downfield throws uh for Spencer Peters to gain confidence throwing down the field or with Tyron Tracy you know just getting him out in space getting him reps in space where do you think you draw the line of not divulging too much but also not hindering your offense so much that you're keeping the comp. You're not building up that confidence in these kind of tune-up games. I think it's one of those situations where this staff is leaning mostly toward, you know, we're going to put our guys in positions where they can make plays, but we're not going to have the plays made for them. Minus that play to Tyler Goodson, because that first touchdown run, um, anybody in that running group, running back room is score. I'm pretty sure Monte Potabom would score on that. <laughs> and and he's a good athlete. That's not to knock him because he's a tremendous athlete, but it's like, that was a play that was um, schemed up and designed. And like, you could just tell formationally if you knew that play was coming, which obviously as fans, we don't, but you go back and watch it and you know what play is coming. You know, you're just smiling. Brian Ferentz had to be on the sideline, just smiling saying, okay, touchdown. Like let's get ready for the next drive because it was set up perfectly. So you don't have very many of those situations, but for somebody like Tyler Goodson, who you want to get going a little bit, you know, Hey, here's a bone. We'll throw you on um, some of those plays to Tyrone Tracy, those tunnel screens. Okay. Let's get you an easy touch later in the game. They ran, it wasn't an RPO, but it kind of looked like it where Petrus holds it in the belly of Goodson for a second. And, you know, behind it, Tracy's running that, kind of skinny post or that 
deep slant, however you want to define it, um, and getting a ball, you know, in front of the corner and in front of the safety. And they got him on that one time. So some of those plays where it's like, okay, we're going to try to get those guys the ball, but you know, we're not setting you up for the, the home run necessarily in a lot of those situations. So we'll give you just enough to keep you involved. You know, we want to get, they got Tyron Tracy, you know, I think six or seven targets, you know, they got Goodson, a few good looks and, and, you know, you want to get to that 15 to 20 carry mark. So you keep them fresh, but at the same time, give them some rhythm. So you want to give just enough of those situations without, you know, show as you said showing too much and and somebody like Sam Laporte you want to get him some touches but let's get the let's make those perimeter touches so you're not taking beatings by a safety down the middle so okay Laporta we're going to get you your four five six targets but guess what they're going to be on the perimeter something where with an outbreaking route where you can either get out of bounds or you're just taking on a cornerback in space so keeping those guys fresh but still getting their touches you you know you may have swayed me a bit off, uh, and I didn't really have a strong stance on that point, but I will say I think you know curb stop in some of these these teams where you really can if you manufacture, you know, throw in some double moves or throw in some rub routes or potential you know just dysfunction on crossers and high low reads. You know, every time Iowa did something like that in this game, and one that comes to mind is a deep corner route. I think it went for twenty yards. Um, trying to remember who it went to, but. I want to say it was. Uh, do you remember when? You remember which play this was? They they hit Laporta on one. That's the one. So Laporta had the one where uh, it was a deep corner, kind of, kind of an out. Depending, I couldn't see the whole route, but yeah, I think it was Laporta. Yeah. So that deep corner to Laporta for about twenty yards. That was one of the. That was the second best throw made by Spencer in this game, and it came on the first high low read that Spencer was given in this game. It was high. Uh, corner out uh, and then to a check down out of the backfield and he threw a throw right on the money right at the sideline and you know those are the kinds of throws that yeah you know rhythm throws that are the five yard outs or the stop routes to the sideline for eight yards those are rhythm throws and those are confidence boosters but when getting able to win being able to wing the ball 20 yards down the field on a corner which again is also a rhythm route when you're doing a high low read that's your first progression um that that builds up a lot of confidence for a quarterback. And then that double move at the end of the game. And again, this was like the only double move Iowa receivers, at least the ones that were targeted, ran in this game. It goes for a big gain, and I, and Spencer Petras is able to throw the ball down the field. Those sorts of things, I think, against these kinds of teams, when you can really abuse that with your athletes, and um, you know Spencer obviously has an arm, I think that kind of tune-up, for a guy throwing the ball 20 plus yards down the field is really going to help later on down the season so that when you have to make that throw in, in tight contested games, maybe when you're behind by four points or something, the, you know, he's more comfortable doing that and he knows how to sort of let loose on it. And I look back to that touchdown he threw to Sam Laporta, you know, on first glance, it looked like, okay, he's kind of open. It's a really easy throw. But when you go back to it, you see that, you know, Laporta gets the linebacker beats him because the linebacker takes a false step early but the outside corner that's playing off of Tracy is once once uh Petra's eyes go to Laporta he starts to come off and that window does shrink down pretty quickly and he does a nice job in that case of you know he didn't fire a bullet you know and he didn't try to lob it to the spot but he put 
proper loft, proper pace on it, hit Laporta in that window where he was able to catch the ball kind of going down to the ground and put it where only his player is going to catch it. Nothing bad is going to happen. And, you know, you can talk all you want about, you know, well, you know, I, I could take a turnover or two for a big play. But the truth is, if Iowa is not turning the ball over in those situations, they're going to be in a great situation because if they're not giving the opposing team great field position and because Tory Taylor is such a good punter, even the one time Iowa was backed up, you know, they punted from about their own 20. He flips the field and all of a sudden Kent State had to still start from about their own 23 or so. So as long as you're not giving the opponent short field, you're going to be in a good situation. And I, I just keep getting the feeling it's like, it's like that Baltimore Ravens Super Bowl championship team with Trent Dilfer, <laughs> you know, where it's like, okay, just make the right play. And as you said it earlier, it was so many one read. There was one play action where he kind of boot action where, you know, his first read, I was really glad when I rewatched it, you could see his eyes are downfield to Tracy on a corner out first. And there's a linebacker playing Laporta and Tracy. And once his eyes went downfield, the linebacker drifted back and he went underneath right away to Laporta and made the right read and picked up eight or nine yards. So, but it was a step forward because he had been missing that high low. As you said, he was reading like everything low and not even getting to the high. And at least that time he looked, you could see clearly on the replay, his eyes were deep, the linebacker dropped and he threw it underneath. So just making some of those plays um, is all they really need to do to keep moving the chains because Tyler Goodson at some point in most games is going to break a big play or two. You know, Sam Laporta is going to leak out. The defense is going to give you good field position at some point. So as long as you're not setting the opposing team's offense up, that's half the battle right now. Yeah, and you know, and even on a lot of these passing plays where Spencer was throwing that first progression, there wasn't really a play to be developed. You know, a lot of these throws were, or a lot of these patterns or play designs that were being implemented were like spacing routes where you're literally just going one, two read uh, and then check down. And, and there wasn't a whole lot of, I guess, downfield development to be had um, in a lot of these throws. And the ones that were the toughest throws that Spencer had to make, he missed a couple but the throw to Tyron Tracy uh, on on just that go or that seam route that was on the back shoulder was literally a perfect throw. Um, good play by the defensive back and probably a throw that uh, Tracy should catch. But it's also one of those plays that you can kind of let go because it was the, there was a hand in there and then the pocket contesting the catch that sort of broke it up. But yeah, that corner route, the deep ball at the end of the game, um, there really weren't a lot of downfield throws to be had. Um, or to be even developed in just what they were Iowa was calling in this game. And Kent State, you know, they came in saying it's a it's a three, three three five or you know type setup, but they were mostly playing with essentially a five man front most of the game and a single high safety. And let's be honest, if Iowa really wanted to push the ball downfield, they easily could have, because for much of the game, Kent State was in a single high safety look. You know, they had their three down linemen. They had two linebackers out wide. They had at least one linebacker and usually a safety creeping into the box as well. And it was an eight-man box for much of the game, single high safety. Iowa could have taken shots downfield so many situations. But as you said, there wasn't really play design trying to. And 
that's something that you know they've got some of those situations where they can go to if they really want to. But in this case, um, they were working on some of their, you know, okay, let's run it against an eight-man box. Um, but at the same time, let's do it out of shotgun sometimes. Let's get a few screen passes. Let's get, you know, there was one time where they ran a, a reverse or a jet sweep action to Charlie Jones. Didn't do much. But, okay, let's run that once or twice, just move them horizontal, and let's take what's in front of us. And I thought, you know, they did a good job of just kind of slowly, very slowly sometimes, but just making their way downfield, picking up first downs, giving themselves situations to score. And, you know, part of the plan was, okay, offense, if you can eat up clock and keep their offense off the field, even though the defense was dominating, it does make the defense's job a lot easier when they have several minutes after each possession to come over, talk through what they want to do, get their rest, and then go back out there. Yeah, and you know, I it was kind of funny. I, I kept making notes um, on Kent State's defense saying something like, good play recognition by Kent State's corner, good play recognition by Kent State's safety. But then it becomes a point when you're making that note so much that these dudes are literally just selling out for the run. And yeah, like you said, if Iowa really wanted to, they could have pushed the ball down the field and abuse them in this game because they were selling out in every single play. I mean, the only big runs for Iowa in this game really came on misdirection kind of play calls. And a lot of the just the outside zone runs that normally would be effective if I was running a true balanced offense with at least a, a sustainable or a, a, at least an imposing kind of passing game, a competent passing game. You know, they really weren't there because they were just they were outnumbered consistently by these corners lined up in man and then really not taking the routes all that seriously you know they were immediately shooting the second that they they saw a potential I guess fake handoff or uh, the quarterback looking like it was about to take a handoff um so yeah the Kent State was selling out to stop the run and I I think definitely could have um pushed the ball downfield if they really wanted to in this one yeah it's a situation where hey if we need to down the road or in this game if we needed to in the late third quarter fourth quarter we can look to do it. Um, and part of me wonders that play for Regani was it like, all right, the game's in hand, you know, all right, just let's take a shot at him, see what happens, because that was the same situation. Eight-man box, single high safety, double move, um, and it was there. And I feel like Iowa could have done something similar seven or eight times throughout the game. Conservatively so, <laughs> seven or eight. They probably could have ran every single play um, after that first half and they would have had success every single time, but you know, let, let's, that's enough of the offense. It was like, it was a boring game for the offense, to be honest, a couple of big splash plays, but there really probably weren't, um, sustainable plays the rest of the season. Um, just because Kent state, again, they were flowing and selling out hard to everything face value that I was throwing at them. And the passing game, as far as concepts were concerned, wasn't really too intriguing. Um, I could even tell that from just watching the the terrible broadcast view that Big Ten puts out. But the defense, so this was like the first game where the defense actually kind of looked susceptible a couple times on just some big chunk plays. Um, but at the same time, it it's not really too concerning because they made a lot of plays when they needed to make a lot of plays. They were suffocating against the run. They completely took that, um, I guess, side of it out of the out of the equation for Kent State's offense. And we saw a lot of different usage. I mean, uh, uh, Phil Parker 
was blitz crazy in this game. I mean, double dog blitzes, double linebacker blitzes, um, blitzes from the nickel, blitzes from the corner, blitzes from safety. Um, every single player felt like that was lined up away from the line of scrimmage was blitzing at some point in this game. And then also we saw Justin Jacobs lining up in the box a, a, a quite a few times, which is a pretty new sort of usage for him, at least before garbage time comes around. Um, and I don't think he looked too terrible, but I also think that he was a little bit timid on a couple plays, just trying to figure it out because, again, he was lining up in the cash spot at one one play. The next play, he was lined up in the box. And it also kind of looks at like his playing time is coming at the expense, potentially, of Seth Benson, which is kind of an interesting development if that continues to hold. Well, the thing that Seth Benson does best is, and we've mentioned his run defense, his ability to scrape along the line. But in a game like this, the defensive line for Iowa was just eating up all the blockers. So those linebackers had situations where they could really just run free so many times. And, you know, they were bottling up their run game. So it was good to see, though, without Seth Benson, how the defense still could contain the run so well. And when you get Jacobs out there, it just gives you more versatility. He can flex out on a slot receiver. He obviously can cover a tight end really well. So it gives that defense a little bit more flexibility. And, you know, it just allows Jack Campbell to roam. And when he can roam and he can get a full head of steam going somewhere, there are very few players in the entire country that can go from point A to point B in a straight line faster than he can. Yeah, that was one of the notes I took away. Jack Campbell can fly. I mean, you know, Dustin Crum, the Kent State quarterback, not a not a slow guy. And Jack Campbell was running him down with with Crum having a five yard head start and just obliterating him and taking these crazy angles on plays. I, I mean, what a special player Jack Campbell is. It, it really is crazy that he is that big and he's also that straight line fast because Justin Jacobs is straight line fast and he's very quick. He maybe is a little bit more quick than Campbell, but Campbell also looks like he has a lot more width to him. I know the play you're talking about where Crum rolls out to his right and it looks like maybe he's going to be able to scramble, get an edge. And Campbell looks like he's shot out of a rocket, chases yeah. him down. And you can see Crum's kind of holding on thinking, I'm going to get this pass off. And at the last second flips it out of bounds and Campbell unloads on it. <laughs> and he does it again when he's in the pocket one time. There's a play that he gets in there and he blitzes and the linebacker try, or the running back tries to pick him up and tries to cut him. And he knocks the dude's helmet off, pops back up, and still is in there with Evans to, I don't think he got credit for the sack or even a partial, but he's still right in there again to jump on top. I mean, his ability to close on somebody is absolutely outrageous. Or that time, you know, I think we all know the play where he chased down that uh, running back screen off to the boundary where he's coming in and all of a sudden he sees him leak out and what looks like is a big, a big play is just absolutely crushed at the line of scrimmage. So it was good to see him get out and kind of get into space and move around. And we often forget, you know, he's a relatively young player in a lot of sense. You know, Iowa only played eight games last year and he missed the first couple due to sickness. And, you know, it's somebody, it's a name we've heard for a while and have really high expectations based off of what the coaching staff has said. But he's still a relatively young player in terms of the grand scheme of things. So to see him get out there 
in a game like that was really good. Yeah, you know, a lot of people forget, you know, Jack Campbell is a true junior. He's not a he's not a, a redshirt sophomore and Justin Jacobs and him, well Justin Jacobs just considering his health and being good probably has more experience or more time in this defense than Jack Campbell does, which kind of seems a little bit crazy, not playing time wise, but um, just as far as being in the system, being able to uh, actually participate in it and practice because of health, you know, they're pretty uh, even on in terms of experience and playing time. And Jack Campbell is just one of those guys that when he hits you at full speed, the way he hit Dustin Crum on that rollout, he kind of makes you want to quit football, I think. Uh, he just kind of ruins your will to want to continue to play college football. And you kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel. Like, is this really for me? <laughs> yeah. His hit there kind of reminds me of the hit that AJ Epinesa put on Tua Tagovailoa this last week, where it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I can sit out for a while. I don't need that again. The funniest part. Well, okay. Not funny. Cause Tua got hurt, but it, it is great seeing AJ ball out. The, the most interesting part of that. Austin Jackson, who you might remember from the USC uh, bowl game, AJ Epinesa beat Austin Jackson and got Keaton Slovis hurt. Well, uh, now he has gotten to a Tagovailoa hurt and uh, in the same matchup from the left side. Yeah, um, I think we all saw that one coming and and we're not surprised that uh, AJ Epinesa was going to win that battle. Yeah, he uh, AJ Epinesa is now tied. Uh, for the NFL lead in total pressures in a single game. Only one QB hit, but I mean, AJ Epinesa has arrived if you're an NFL fan. And, you know, that's just what we offer on this podcast. A little NFL, a little college football. Uh, we're about to preview Colorado State, a team we actually watched this week. I mean, we're bringing it all. <laughs> yeah, um, thank goodness for things like YouTube and, and all the th- great things of the internet where you know, could you imagine 15 years ago going to talk about Colorado State in a game like this? <laughs> and you're just hoping that somebody like, oh, maybe I've got a cousin that lives out in that area. Maybe they know something um, that we're able to just hop on, watch some games and get some information. <laughs> Absolutely. And before we hop into Colorado State, uh, we, we should, I guess, give a little bit of light to um, the defensive line in this one, um, just because we haven't really touched on it yet so far. And there was... I mean, it was similar rotations to what we've seen so far as far as the guys we saw. Logan Lee looks like he's establishing himself, um, I think, away from the pack of the Lucas Van Ness kind of thing. Um, The Lucas Van Ness tier um, in the the uh, Yaya Black or YA Black tier. Um, He just looks like he is explosive. He's good with his length, good with his hands. Um, That said, I do want to, I guess talk about YA Black for a second because he he had a very limited role in this one but every single time that he was on the field he was getting penetration and the one thing I noted in every single one of his reps and obviously this guy is a he's the biggest defensive lineman that Iowa has at this point size wise uh, length wise um, potentially even strength wise the one thing that I'm noting about him that I really want to see him improve on as the season goes on he couldn't get off a single block once he got that penetration and I don't know if he was just too fixated on controlling his gap responsibility and not really watching them for the football all that all that well and wasn't really disengaging. Or it's a technical uh, thing just physic- physically where he just can't really get off the block with good hand usage or a good separation move. 
but that was something I re- it really stood out because he was penetrating more than any other defensive lineman when he was on the field, and it just didn't really amount to anything, and a linebacker had to fill behind him. Um, and you on some of those plays, you kind of wanted to see him sort of finish that off. It's interesting because I remember last year he got in during the Penn State game, and Kirk Ferentz men- mentioned how the, in practice there are days when they just couldn't block him. You know, where he'd line up and they just couldn't stop him. And then he'd get into the game and it had to almost remind him like, hey, it's okay to go hit somebody. And you almost see that. And I thought you bring, brought up a really good point in terms of, is he, you know, really focused on his lane or his gap or integrity? So he's just locking onto his guy and trying to hold position. Um, because there are times when you think he would be good enough, strong enough and be able to use his hands to shed players. Because right now, that's where he is definitely behind all of those other interior defensive linemen. You know, you watch somebody like Lucas Van Ness, and he pushes a guy back, and he just sheds them so quickly. He uses that length and his suddenness to discard a guy. Or you see Logan Lee, you know, eat up a double and even, you know, use his hands to discard and and hold his gap, but then go make a play. So that's definitely the next step for Black as he tries to, you know, increase that playing time because coming into this season in the summer he was kind of the guy that everybody had heard would be you know this might be the best defensive lineman and up to this point the reps have been pretty limited and as you said finally he has that time where hey he's getting some penetration getting some push so the next step is making the plays and maybe it's a situation we think back to conversations we've had last year and before about somebody like Chauncey Golson a guy who could always get to the spot but not make the play. And I don't think Black's at that same spot in terms of he's not getting to the quarterback or the different players quite as at the same rate. But maybe it's a situation where just getting those reps, getting more confident with his hands, and then just going and finishing the play. Yeah, and you know, a guy that he really reminds me of just by his playing style so far from what we see it in his stature is Carl Davis. Um really big guy, really athletic guy, really um, long guy who got penetration. And sometimes it just technically he just wasn't able to get that separation or get off a block and was sort of more of more of an obstacle rather than a playmaker. And that's something I would love to see out of YA Black because this defensive line is a little bit on the slim side. And he's a big guy who I think against a team like Wisconsin or one of these teams that really has an offensive line that can hit you in the face. And Iowa's defensive line, we should note, hasn't played a competent offensive line yet. Um, well, maybe a competence a little bit too strong, but they haven't played a good offensive line yet. And they eventually will. They'll play a few. So time will tell how good uh, some of these this, the slimness on Iowa's defensive line is either going to hinder them or, or play into the factor of just being good quick pass rushers. But... That's still yet to be seen, and if a guy like Y.A. Black can really emerge as a good run defender and a good penetrator and a really strong piece in that interior, that could be huge. And this defense is going to want to continue to rotate players. You know, it's at a different position, but unfortunately we heard Ethan Herkett, who had been playing really well at defensive end, is going to miss some time with a knee injury. Um, but they they are going to want to play eight guys. They've been playing nine guys, and they want to play eight or nine and keep them rotating, keep them fresh. And he's, as you said, a big body, but a player that has a really high ceiling 
if he can just make that next step. And now all of a sudden it just gives them more interchangeable pieces because when you look at uh, Noah Shannon and Logan Lee and Lucas Van Ness and YA Black, they're all different styles of players. So if you can just continue to build that skill set for him, it's just going to give this defense a lot more options, um, especially in those pass rush situations. Yeah, and, and you know they're really in a good spot with the defensive line group because not only were they able to show up or at least be good enough against Iowa State and Indiana to not only have an impact, but a lot of people coming into the season were really questioning that group and how good they would actually be. And now that you got over those two games where you know maybe they would have been a loss coming into the year if that defensive line group didn't really really perform out, now you're in the these two tune-up games sort of things where now you can start to build on your your game film that you're actually putting out there. And throughout the week, you can work on technical things and improve and not have to go up against a Big Ten opponent that really has dominant offensive linemen or really strong offensive linemen across the board. You don't have to go there yet. Um, you have these teams that you can sort of build your just how you play the game from a technical standpoint without really having to uh, need to make plays up on, on that unit. Yeah, I agree completely with everything on that because they're going to need it in a few of those big games. You know, there's going to be moments where the the defense is on the field for long stretches and they need to come up and make plays. So it's a great opportunity for those guys to get reps and continue to to build that confidence uh, because that defensive line group, you know, all nine of the guys that have played have all made an impact in a positive way. Yeah, and you know now we, we we've been talking about Colorado State. I mean, throughout this entire podcast, because I guess they're they're considered the, uh, I yeah, this is going to be the last non-con game, and it's also going to be a game where it's a sort of it's, can't say it's going to be sort of like a tune-up game. I was favored by about twenty-three points again. Um, that said, they're in, they're more of a different they're a different team than Kent State, and they have a head coach that a lot of people might know from the Pinstripe Bowl and from watching ACC over the years, and Steve Adazio. And he's obviously from Boston College. And he's a guy that I feel like players just really gravitate towards. I mean, when he went to Colorado State, he had about five guys transfer with him, um, which, you know, usually you see uh, when a, a head coach leaves a big program like that, takes a smaller school head coach job, some guys will transfer with him. But he got some actually good, talented players to come to Colorado State and usually you don't see that many guys. Um, and I, in fact, entire all across the board for Colorado State offense and defense, they have quite a few transfers. Um, and there's a lot of guys who are making an impact early on. And I mean, there's there's four guys on this current CSU squad that were formerly Boston College players, including running back David Bailey, who a number of people thought was going to be the next A.J. Dillon or the next Andre Williams at a, at a point for Boston College because he was averaging around... around six yards per carry and really looked like a, a, a big load of a running back. I mean, he's about six foot, 240 pounds. And it is really interesting watching this Colorado State offense because they run their offense very similar to how Boston College did. A lot of play action, a lot of gap blocking concepts, a lot of pulling of their guards, um, and a lot of physical running. And, and their best player is a tight end. So, what were your thoughts when just watching uh, Colorado State on film? As you mentioned, it did. It felt very familiar to what you might see in a Big Ten game, you know. And they're from 
from the Mountain West, and and there are some good teams in their in their league that they have to play against, and some physical teams that they have to play against. So, you know, he brought that style, and as you said, uh, Bailey jumps off when you go to watch him. He is a big guy and somebody that, while at Boston College, had you know, fifteen sixteen hundred yards, sixteen touchdowns while he was there. So it's a guy with a lot of experience and a lot of success as well, not just playing because he had to, but was a good player. And then clearly you go to tight end. And if you look at the numbers, it's almost comical. You know, you think Iowa is getting the tight end, the ball a lot. You think Sam Laporta is the main target. I mean, the numbers for McBride at tight end for them are just outrageous in terms of how many times he's targeted and the percentage of receptions and yards that he leads for them. Yeah, Trey McBride, um, their tight end, and his brother's also on the defensive line, and he's a good player too. But Trey McBride, tight end, he's an NFL player, legitimate NFL player, super athletic, can adjust to a lot of passes. Um, and this is an offense that really thrives off play action, like I said, and that's very similar to what Iowa does. I mean, th- their passing game relies on being able to sell um, a power run play and then have the safeties and corners get sucked up and then attack over the top. Um, one of the things that I, I really like that the Colorado State offense does, and I and I will say, Riley Moss and Matt Hankins are going to be tested in this game, and their man coverage ability on just quick outs and speed outs to the boundary, because something that Colorado State does in their passing game is that they get their quarterback immediately rolling out the second he receives a snap in a lot of situations, which is sort of unorthodox, but the reason they do it and the reason they they design it that way is so that they can eliminate some of these long throws from the far hash and really open up the entire field by eliminating some of that distance immediately. And inherently a lot of times teams tend to play their cornerbacks with a bit more cushion on those far hash throws. And you know, that's going to be really a, a test for a guy like Raleigh Moss who again, got burned a couple times this week. He's probably going to be playing with a little bit more cushion if he gets in that situation and this quarterback for Colorado State, he's a transfer from Temple. He's definitely a, a decent quarterback. I mean, he has a pretty live arm. Um, he's a good thrower on the run. He's a pretty accurate thrower on the run. So some of those situations could, I guess, spell a little bit danger for Iowa secondary. It's interesting you mentioned his accuracy on the run. Uh, according to PFF, he's actually more accurate when under pressure so many of those situations where he's rolling out, getting away, um, his completion percentage is higher than when it's, he's listed as kept clean. And you mentioned uh, they're going to play action about 30, 35% of the time um, and set that up. The thing that I'm interested to see is they, obviously because of the tight end, they do like to go down the middle a lot, You know whether it's short at all three levels, they're going to attack down the middles, kind of where most of their passes have been this season. And uh, you know, for the quarterback for Centeo, he's only about six foot tall. They list him at six foot tall. And I would, I would guess that's, they're being a little bit generous. You know, he's not a, he's a stout guy, very well built, you know, probably 225, 30 pounds, but he's not very tall. And you think about some of the length that Iowa puts at that defensive line, especially in those passing situations when you're going to have, you know, Wagner, Van Ness, Van Valkenburg, you know, maybe Joe Evans is installed, but you've got several six, four, six, five guys on that defensive front, not to mention six, five, Jack Campbell, six, four, Justin Jacobs, 
you had those guys. I do wonder if he's going to have some troubles getting passing lanes down the middle because the other thing that this Iowa defense has done pretty well is they do hold the center of the pocket. So when Joe Evans and when Van Valkenburg are putting pressure from the outside, the quarterback is having a hard time stepping up. And when you're only six foot tall and you're throwing over that defensive line and bigger offensive linemen, your vision is very much going to be disrupted. I'm wondering if we see a batted ball or two over the middle that give those safeties and linebackers chances for interceptions. Yeah, and what I will say about just how they approach the passing game, this is going to be a real test for just the, um, I guess, discipline of Jack Kerner and Kayvon Merriweather in this game. I mean, the way they attack every single defense that they played so far this season is really trying to suck up those safeties and attack the seam down the field. And they've had a lot of opportunities and a lot of missed throws, might I add. And a lot of these throws are going to be missed long. So I, those are that's a correctable mistake. And if they get one of those looks against Iowa, we saw it this past weekend. One chunk play can really change the sort of demeanor of how a game's playing out. Um that those touchdowns that are the touchdown that Kent State put up that really felt like a punch in the mouth to Iowa. Um, I know Matt Hankins was talking about how that that's we're not playing like an Iowa defense. Uh, they they sort of had like a come to like let's let's regroup kind of moment. This is a better team than Kent State, I'll, I'll, bar none, I in my opinion. And I think this offensive line, dare I say, might be the best offensive line they faced so far this season. Um, they they brought in. Now that I'm looking at the sheet, they brought in two transfers from Boston College and one from Temple on that offensive line, and they look like guys who played in, in competitive conferences and legitimate conferences because they're built well. They move technically at least pretty well. They have some flaws on their offensive line. They're not perfect. They're definitely susceptible to some pass rushes off the edge. But other than Zach Van Valkenburg, Iowa really hasn't been generating a whole lot of pass rushing off the edge, um, and now with Herkut out especially, that's going to be a, a maybe a point of emphasis or a point that Iowa needs to figure out coming into this one. And, you know, just technically speaking, I thought they played pretty well as well. So this actually might be the biggest test for Iowa's defensive line, and we were just talking about it. You know, Iowa's defensive line really hasn't had that so far this year. This game is just like, we. I think back two weeks ago or even a week ago, and, and I thought, well, this is, you know, the easiest game they're going to have by far. But you start digging into it and you look at some of the players that they brought in, some of those transfers. And, you know, now that they've had a little bit more time together, they look like a much better team than Kent State. You know, Kent State had this offense that, you know, comes in and, oh, it looks great. But, you know, against Iowa, you just, that doesn't threaten me when a lower level team wants to do that against Iowa because Iowa's going to win the point of attack and they're going to have better athletes on the perimeter. And Iowa's still going to have better players at the point of attack and better players on the perimeter in general. But their offensive line is much better than Kent State's. Their defensive line is better than Kent State's. So you look at some of those positions, um, you know, and they're not, they're not like a bad team. It's not going to be a rollover game, in my opinion. The thing that does jump out, though, when you look is they don't have any interceptions on the season. So it's not a defense right now that's getting a lot of takeaways. Now, that said, Iowa doesn't have any interceptions, so this is probably the game where there's like three of them, and we all throw our hands up trying to figure out what's going on. But they don't 
they aren't as aggressive on the back end at the point of attack like Kent State, who had, I think, seven or eight interceptions as a team. Yeah, no, the secondary for Colorado State is and, and the linebacking core are the weaknesses of this team um, on offense and defense. The defensive line is actually pretty good. But it's also when your your strength is defensive line and you're not you don't have a guy like a Will McDonald that Iowa State had. Iowa's offensive line is so damn good that they're going to be able to neutralize Colorado State. I'd imagine the entire game. Um, they do have a couple players who can generate some juice, but a lot of their production as far as sacks and tackle for loss this year have come against just weird, bad offensive line mistakes from teams like Toledo and Vanderbilt and South Dakota State. And let's talk about the perception of why, you know, you and I both thought that Colorado State was just awful coming um, uh, out of, I guess, in week two, after coming out of week two, that lost to Vanderbilt. I mean, they lo- they opened their season with a 42-23 loss to South Dakota State. So an FCS opponent drubbing them at home. Um, and I will say, we I watched these all three of these games all the way through. Yeah, I devoted about six hours of my time to watch Colorado State football. But South Dakota State is legitimately good. Their quarterback is going to be an NFL guy. If I, I, I would be surprised if he isn't. He's a cannon arm. He's a good athlete. And Colorado State was really hanging with that team until a certain point just it, it became too much. With Vanderbilt, that was one that was probably their worst loss. Um, just because Vanderbilt's really not good. And Colorado State had a lot of uh, offensive miscues in that game as far as incompletions are concerned and just not making the plays that they probably should have made. And then against Toledo, they they really showed up. Their defensive line made a serious impact. Um, they opened up a lot of game, uh, a lot of passing plays that were successful, a lot of runs that were successful. And you really saw in maybe an identity taking shape. And again, this is the second year of Steve Adazio. So they're only going to be getting better throughout the season and they're catching Iowa now in this fourth game after their best win, I definitely think this is a tougher spot than Kent State. And when we're talking about that, as far as betting is concerned, we'll get to that in a second. Um, the spread being the same is a is little bit concerning as far as just Iowa covering. The thing that does interest me when you start looking at their their games is their scoring output isn't a lot. 23 points against South Dakota State, 21 points against Vanderbilt. 22 points against Toledo and in that Toledo game they were really sparked by a punt return for a touchdown and against Iowa you think with Torrey Taylor and then Terry Roberts like there was there was (laughs) a tweet I think it was uh, Scott Docterman had tweeted you know there should be a special teams all-american list and LeVar Woods retweets it you know like of course and those two players you know for punters they can but Terry Roberts has been absolutely phenomenal on special teams and looked, you know, really good getting some of those nickel and dime looks as a corner. But, you know, when you think about how they match up with Iowa, you know, if you're only scoring low 20s against some of those teams, they are going to have a real and with a special teams touchdown in one of them, they are going to have a tough time, you know, getting to that 17, 18 point barrier. And, you know, will they be able to keep Iowa, you know, below, below 25 or even 30, that's going to be a lot to ask for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, like I said, Iowa's defense is going to be tested in some areas in this game, but they shut down Kent state. We're talking about Kent state's offense. Like they, you know, surprised Iowa with this output of seven points. 
Um, there were a couple of big plays, a couple of the biggest plays I was giving up all year. But Colorado State's offense is less explosive than Kent State's offense. And what they really hinder on, and I think this is kind of an interesting wrinkle in this game, is that um, Colorado State is the first team that I was going to play so far this year that really relies on a lot of misdirection. And they also run a gap blocking scheme as opposed to a zone running scheme. So there's going to be some different keys for these linebackers that we've been seeing and, and really hyping up as far as and also the defensive line as well. So it's going to be interesting to watch some of how, uh, how Iowa reacts to some of these play calls, because a lot of them could really mess with Iowa just based on, I guess, the groove that they've been settling into. Yeah, and what I'm really you talked about those linebackers, you know, this is a game where Justin Jacobs could have a huge role. You know, I mentioned Trey McBride earlier. So in their game against Toledo, uh, they had 11 completions from their quarterback. He caught nine of them. Uh, They had 110 passing yards from their quarterback. He had 109 of them. (laughs) All but one yard of their passing game from their quarterback came to their tight end. And he's a really good player. Like, first of all, I mean, I want to say that, but he's 6'4", 260. Iowa having somebody like Justin Jacobs to match up with him in this game is really big because it gives Iowa somebody with that sort of size and somebody who's even faster that you can put out there and help to neutralize him. You know, it's not going to be a game where you hold him catchless. You know, he still might get seven, six, seven catches, you know, but you've got to make sure you just limit those. So, yeah, he gets five, six catches, but it's for 48 yards and no touchdowns. And when, if they get to the red zone, like, Hey, we can't let him catch the ball. So Iowa is well positioned to stop their best weapon on offense. And that leads them to, okay, they're going to have to rely on their running game. And to this point, this Iowa defensive front has shut down the running games they've seen so far. Yeah, this definitely is kind of eerie towards Iowa State. You know, their best offensive weapon was Charlie Kohler coming into that game, and they also had two really good tight ends. Colorado State's offense relies on uh, Trey McBride. So Justin Jacobs, Trey McBride is going to be a big-time matchup to watch. It's going to be a fun matchup to watch. Um, and I really do think if, if if Justin Jacobs can play as well, you know, limiting to him about – three catches out of eight uh, targets or something like to that effect and really keeps them out of the end zone. Colorado state might not be able to score in this game. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, they just rely on him so much. Um, and you know, you talk about that matchup with Iowa state and the job that Jacobs did on Kohler and Allen. And this is a different kind of matchup. Those guys, you know, similar size, but, uh, I do think McBride is just a bigger guy. Like he is a big physical tight end. He's somebody that when you watch him, like you could totally see him playing for Iowa. Oh, absolutely. And I would love him playing for Iowa. That would be a, a phenomenal addition, adding another NFL tight end into the fold. That said, you know, it's a little bit early in the week, so we can't talk about the uh, opponent's prop bet of um, how what the uh, Colorado State team total over under is, because I don't even think it's posted anywhere yet. But we still have the spread. We still have the over-under total for the game. Um, the spread for this game I'm seeing right now on BetMGM, minus 22 and a half. Uh, the total is set at 44 and a half. Bad. Thoughts on both of those. Where do you lean? Uh, how are you feeling about that total? Because 44 and a half is about 
12 and a half points under last week's total projected. They're getting tired of uh, Iowa just continuing to hit the under. So they're <laughs> they're in there saying, all right, we have to lower this number because the Sharps are just pounding the under every time Iowa's on the field. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, I, last week I talked about kind of going back and forth. And I feel like we're going to see a little bit more creativity from this Iowa team this year, like, or this week, you know, maybe ramp up, not a lot, but okay, Big Ten weeks coming, you know, you're coming up with the, I guess, not start of Big Ten season. They did play Indiana, but kind of the meat of the Big Ten's schedule coming up. You know, I think they maybe show a little bit more. They continue to get some of those young players involved. And I think this Colorado State team um, is going to have a hard time scoring. You know, I, I, I just don't see them getting over 13 points. You know, they might get a touchdown somewhere and then a couple field goals, but I just don't, I see them having a really hard time getting past 13 and I do think Iowa gets to 30, you know, so then we're looking at that, you know, right in that range where we expect, I, I am going to say maybe the under, I, I think it probably ends up in that, you know, 13 to, to 32 range, um, type of game. But, you know, I guess that puts it right at, you know, just at the under. Um, so maybe I need to modify cause I was going to say, you know, they've moved it so low. You got to give Iowa the over. So now I've got to recalculate some of those numbers in my head, but I guess the one I feel pretty good about right now is I do think Iowa just barely doesn't cover this game. Um, mainly because I just think that Colorado state with their run base and hitting the tight ends are going to try to eat some of that clock and maybe just lower possessions for the Iowa offense. You know, I think you, you said my point, but I'm going to go the other way. Um, they've lowered the, the over under total so much that now you got to take the over. I mean, everybody's thinking, oh, Iowa under it's a, it's a lock. It's automatic. This is where you, you zig where other people are zagging or you zag where other people are zigging. You take the over here, 100%. And I will say this. Yeah, Colorado State's going to be more ball control heavy than any team that we've seen so far. Um, Iowa's been dominating time of possession um, as far as in the games that they aren't, you know, turn getting the the, uh, the offense, the opposing offense to turn the ball over seven times. But I will say that I think Iowa this week, I just saw how vanilla their offensive play calling was against Kent State. I think they ramp it up a little bit more here as they start to it's one week away from Big Ten play. And I think that they say, okay, listen, we need to start building the confidence of some of our players. And I think we saw at the end of the game with that double move um, that led to a touchdown and some of these deeper throws and the seam to Tyrone Tracy and these and these drag screens. I think we're going to start to see a little bit more creative play calling in the passing game, which again, Colorado State is that's not their strength. Um, I think you can easily attack them uh, in that area. And then when you look at Colorado's strength, their their strength, it's at tight end, it's at running back, and it's on the defensive line. And I think Iowa does an amazing job of just completely neutralizing all three of those things. I mean, with a team like Kent State, they sort of excelled at quarterback and just being athletic and being able to get to the edge and then also being able to take these kinds of random deep shots down the sideline against uh, the corners, not necessarily the safeties down the seam. And I think maybe that's the best way to attack Iowa sometimes because Riley Moss can guess at times. Um, 
Matt Hankins is pretty solid, but you know, Iowa lines up in a lot of two man coverage. So you're going to have at least some over top shots um, on, on that Iowa defense. And then Kent state kind of executed in those scenarios, but I think Iowa smokes them this week. I know I said it last week and it pushed, but I'm going to say Iowa wins this game. And here I'm going to give my, my final score prediction and I'll let you pop in with a, a, an exact prediction. So we're on the record here, but I'm going to say Iowa scores 44 points in this game and Colorado scores, uh, Colorado state scores seven. That's my final prediction. All right. I, I'm going to officially put it in at 34 to 13. So Iowa, you know, it does go over then with 47, um, doesn't quite cover. Uh, you mentioned you had the push. Well, it does. It last week, some of us had it at 22 and a half. So, uh, <laughs> some of us did have a little bit of a nice payday at the end. Uh, but one thing I was thinking about is you were talking about, you know, getting ready for big 10 season, Iowa plays Maryland on a Friday night. Is there any chance that this coaching staff is thinking, you know, with one day rest, you know, if we can get some of those guys a little extra rest, you know, maybe midway, you know, early fourth quarter, we can get a few extra subs in, you know, do we put it on a little heavy early on so that later in the game, some of those big guys can get a little extra rest heading into the next week. So, you know, I'm interested to see, does Iowa come out with, you know, some firepower or early on or at least attempted firepower early on to try to give some of those guys rest knowing that they do have a short week coming up and interesting i just brought up maryland's schedule i'm like oh who, what are they they've got kent state this week so <laughs> iowa fans are going to be you know doing lots of transitive property you know for their maryland games saying okay this is what iowa did against kent state uh because maryland's got kent state this week and you know what's interesting is um Iowa, I think, definitely played too long or longer than they wanted to their starters against Kent State. You know, I think that they kind of wanted to be out halfway through the third quarter with their starters and not really feel like they're in a ball game all the way through. And that's kind of what the feel ended up being. Um, I think that the yeah, I think like you just said, I think they come out firing early and try to really make these explosive plays happen early and not try to execute on a third down and four or a third down and three. And they really try to take their shots on first and second down and then maybe try to pick it up on third down from a third and seven to third and eight, if that is what it comes to. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you as I'm going through this. I, I do think they start to show a little bit of that and also get some of those Big Ten teams thinking about what do they need to prepare for. And we saw Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce in there pretty early last week. You know, I, I think we could see some some plays for them to get them in space, get them the ball, because those two can hit a home run at any point. You know, we just we haven't had that. Op- they haven't had that opportunity yet, uh, but I could see it happening this week. I could see each of them, you know, having the opportunity to make a make a big play. And my bold prediction is one of them's getting into the end zone. Oh, okay. That's an interesting prop if they would allow it. I don't know if you can do it player props with college players, but that is an interesting one. Yeah, because that would be a nice little pair, Keegan Johnson or Arlen Bruce. Um, yeah, and as far as Iowa putting out things for uh, teams to defend, now you got to watch out for Tory Taylor, the the passing god. Uh, one for one, 100% completion percentage. Uh, wasn't a first down, but he, he's now one for one on his career, and uh, he's looking pretty sharp out there. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, 
I wonder if Spencer Spencer is up at night, you know, kind of worrying about. I would. Yeah, about Taylor <laughs> coming after his job. Um, all I got to say is, you know, Greg Davis would definitely approve of the three yard pass on fourth and nine. So, um, you know, Iowa, you know, former offensive coordinator getting getting a joy out of uh, that decision. So, I guess in the words of uh, Kirk Ferentz after the game, that was just a dumb call. Um, but but yeah, great to see. <laughs> Tory Taylor, you know, get that opportunity to throw that pass because um, we get to see his leg and, and that's great. So why not see what the arm can do? Yeah, it's about time we get an Aussie QB out here. I mean, we're the punting game for the Aussies already taken over. It's the next logical step in the in the revolution. Um, that said, is there anything else you want to throw in here uh, before we sign off that? No, I just appreciate everybody. Uh, listening and commenting and all the different things i'll have my rewatch out uh wednesday morning you'll be able to check that out and actually I highlight some of the plays and some of the things we've talked about and uh one thing i am going to plug on it there will be a video clip on tyler goodson's third touchdown run and all i'm going to say is just watch tyler linderbaum and enjoy it because uh you know it's a one or two yard uh, maybe three yard touchdown run but Linderbaum makes that play really fun to watch. So uh, check that out on Wednesday. Yep. Linderbaum took that dude to the Michael Orr show uh, and, and blindside. But yeah. All right. Yeah. I Same sentiments as Thad. You guys have been killing it with the viewership. We notice that we see all every single podcast and we see how it's going up by not only the hundreds, but by the thousands from when. We, we just started this this upcoming or before the season started and we're doing a previews to the season. These podcasts have really risen and um, you guys are showing love on Twitter and in the comments on BlackheartGoldPants.com and the viewership numbers reflect it. And, and we can't thank you enough. This has become one of our favorite things to do throughout the week and one of the favorite my favorite things to do um, just to come and talk to that and, and talk through the game that just happened and then preview the opponent. And it's only going to get more fun as the season goes on, hopefully, and um, Iowa continues to be as good as they are. So that being said, we will see you all in a future podcast. Take it easy.